Today's episode is presented by Yelp. Yelp's mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping hospitality professionals connect with each other. Join us on December 17th for a virtual town hall. Meet Chef Jet Tila and ask him questions that directly relate to your business. You'll be able to share your thoughts and to help create a path forward for all of us. Click the link in the show notes to register for this free event. Now here we go. Our communities are actually not just our guests, right? They're our neighbors, our cities, our community organizations. And so I think that anything that is about ensuring kind of the well-being of our community, um, if it's profitable, that's great. Um, but if it's not, it will pay you back uh, eventually. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you ready to level up? The Pineapple Post has launched, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. It's a newsletter for people like you, people who want to learn and improve. It's delivered every Sunday, and it's packed with stories, videos, and audio content from the brightest minds in our industry. We're covering the latest news, innovations, and trends to inform and inspire the way you do business. When you're serious about your work and you're ready to take it to the next level, the Pineapple Post is here to help. You can sign up at pineapplepost.news. I hope you check it out. Vulnerability is the superpower that can change the world. And in this moment, it's changing the face of the hospitality industry. When Irene Lee opened her books, revealing that her busy, award-winning restaurant Mimi was breaking even, the news went viral. Diners were shocked and restaurateurs were forced to take a look in the mirror. The jig was up. Today, Irene opens her books again, giving us insight into what Mimi is today and what it will become in the future. Yeah, well, you know, back in March, I think that we, I guess I thought that we were sort of hitting a pause button. And when March turned into April and April turned into May, um, it started to seem more like maybe we were, you know, flipping the track altogether. And I think for me, um, the bottom line was that if I didn't feel like my staff was going to be safe operating our business, um, then I wasn't going to operate my business. Um, I'm the child of two doctors. So I think there is some, you know, public health mentality ingrained in me. Um, but beyond that, you know, I felt like I would rather lose or drastically alter my business uh, than live with, you know, maybe having somebody's blood on my hands. Um, and that was a decision that, you know, even with all of the great advice I received and the many, many opinions that were proffered to me, um, that I think I ultimately had to make myself. Um, and so that is sort of what led us to transitioning Maymay into what it is now. Which is? which is a, um, a, a consumer packaged goods company. So we're working on a packaged dumpling brand. We also are offering virtual classes, which have been taking off like crazy, um, something we didn't really expect, um, and continuing to figure out how we can meet the needs of our guests um, and sort of fit their new lifestyle um, and you know acknowledge that we don't know what's going to happen in the restaurant industry. And so for us, the safest thing to do is kind of to, to take a, 
a leap that's bigger than a pivot. <laughs> I would say so. Um, and have you experienced any empowerment or excitement from letting go of that traditional dining model? Yes, I will say it's a very mixed set of feelings, um, but there is something about um, like having nights and weekends free <laughs> and, and actually being able to give my team nights and weekends um, mm -hmm. and to, uh, you know, of course, we still work the odd farmer's market. We teach a weekend class. Um, but I think that was one of the immediate things where we were planning our holiday schedule. And I was like, oh, yeah, no one has to work. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how amazing is that? So I think there is some freedom from that. And, um, you know, I do feel that while I've, I've stepped away from the restaurant industry, um, I, my heart is very much with the many folks who are still operating. Um, and so as we've seen things in Massachusetts get consistently tougher and more mm -hmm. frustrating, um, I, I do remain really concerned um, about the state of our industry here. Um, but there, there is uh, a knowledge that we have decided to play a different game um, that is, I think, somewhat comforting. Well, and, and you know, in, in that blog post, you had said, you know, you guys were planning on prior to the pandemic opening multiple locations. Yes. And, and so I, I'm wondering, has, has your perspective on that changed? You know, there's this continuous conversation about going wide versus going deep. Right. Like, like, do you do you entrench, take your brand, pivot out to retail, create multiple cash throw, flows through a singular business or do you expand nationwide? H has your thought process changed there? Well, I think that one of the things that the pandemic um, revealed to me was the the limits of traditional forms of employment because I have always judged myself on my ability to take care of my team um, and to provide an environment that felt um, safe and, and welcoming and empowering. And all of a sudden, for reasons totally outside of my control, um, I was unable to do that. Um, and so I think that that uh, shook my own faith in myself, um, in the idea of, of running a business as a way to kind of drive um, change and innovation. And so I feel like I took a huge step back um, to think about, you know, why am I ultimately doing this? What is it that makes me happy in my job? Um, and yeah, absolutely wondering, like, is the kind of expansion plan that we had before something that makes any sense now? Um, and in terms of going deep versus wide, I think we've always tried to split the difference there, which probably you know has had predictable results. Um, with this package dumpling product, it really is about going wide. Um, so we are hoping to scale to be available in grocery stores, um, you know, first regionally and then maybe nationally. Um, but I still see that as like one little sort of part of the May May story. Um, hopefully, a part that will be big and successful and profitable. Um, but I think that you know. I always imagine my path as having so many different uh, like intersections and branches and you never know which one is going to grow um, and which one is going to be the big one. And so I think that, um, you know, this project is is just one sort of possible outcome. And there are still parts of Maymay that, that I think could grow and move forward. And how did it change the way you see yourself as, as an example all I've ever wanted to do was be in the hospitality industry. From the moment I walked into my first bar, I was like, this is the life for me, you know? 
and eventually fell in love with service, which made me fall in love with fine dining. And I looked in the mirror, put on my suit, and I said, I'm a restaurateur. And, you know, when I no longer, when we closed the restaurant, I no longer had the ability to do that. I had to figure out in my core, like, who am I really? What, what am I really passionate about? Was, that, was there that period of self-discovery for you? And, and how did it adjust the way you see you? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still in that period right now. Um, I still have days where, uh, you know, something small will happen and it'll hit me again. Like, oh, Maymay's not a restaurant anymore. Um, for example, just this past week, we started selling our dishware um, so that people could buy a little piece of, you know, a dish that maybe they'd eaten off of many times at the restaurant. Um, and so, of course, that came many weeks after our announcement that we were going to make a big change to our operations. Um, but it's this kind of gradual letting go process. I think that one of the things that I've been able to spend a lot more time thinking about is my my interest in sort of the intersection of of food and social justice. I mean, obviously, we are in a moment that is um, prompting us all to kind of ask about how are we making a difference and how are we making things better? And for a while, it seemed like going into food was a, a detour away from my interest in social issues. Um, but of course, I circled right back around um, because it, it became about employment um, and equity. And um, I've been really asking myself, like, is there a way to continue to be in food, in hospitality, um, but with a much more explicit food justice focus. I was on a panel with um, a professor from Northeastern recently, and something he brought up was that when you look at social movements, um, you have the first movement of like enthusiasts and hobbyists or, you know, who are excited about something. And then you have the people in the movement that comes after it who are really talking about equity and justice. So like the environmental movement and the environmental justice movement. Um, or like the food movement and the food justice movement. And so thinking about how food justice can be, I guess, integrated more with just our pure enthusiasm about food, that's something that I'm really excited to keep sort of exploring um, as, you know, as you say, as I figure out who I am without this business. Well, and how would how would you play that role in food justice as an entrepreneur and make it an arm of your business or, or as an individual through individual activism? I have no idea. I think that all of those are options, which is part of what's really exciting. Um, I think that there is absolutely an argument for running a business with a social mission. And there certainly are aspects of the dumpling company that we want to really be about that. Um, at the same time, I've been really privileged to work with um, a number of different nonprofit organizations that are sort of in the food, um, hunger, and equity um, space. And so I think deepening my um, relationships with them, not just as a board member, but somebody who's kind of actively participating and contributing, that's something I'm thinking about a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, a place of um, possibility, which is both very exciting and um, very scary. Of course. Uh, I want to talk about winning and I want to talk about compromising. So, you know, when I was running Pru and Proper, we were doing huge numbers, millions of dollars a year. And the bottom line was always lackluster, to say the least, probably above the industry standard, because I know the industry standard is like around 6%. So more than that. But I mean, when you net out 10% on $3.4 million, that is a hard-earned 
three hundred plus thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, and that's you know, and that's if you can net that high, and most people don't. And I looked at that and I said, well, you know, that's just a function of this industry. And this is an industry that runs on pennies. And I made that compromise in my mind, even though having been exposed to so many other industries, I know that like nobody that doesn't grow up in the industry would ever willfully accept that scenario. Right. And so I, you know, you exposed your books back in March. I, I think the net was what? 1.8%. Just about. Yeah. And and how many how many awards have you won? Oh gosh. Well, yeah, I mean I think winning and compromise are um are are in a sense they're opposites, but in a sense I think they're the same, right? Because you have to define what success means to you. I think what we really wanted to do by um showing folks our books for 2019 was to just kind of start a conversation. Um and you know, we were talking about this earlier like there were a lot of colleagues who I had the kind of surface level interactions with where, you know, we'd say like, how's business? And then you'd say, oh, business is great. What about you? And they'd say, oh yeah, things are good. And, you know, we all know that that's not really what's going on. Right. Right. Cause your voice and, goes up like six octaves, right? How? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How oh, they're really good. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to get to a point of, um, honesty and and candor about that is something that I I have always wanted um, in in more of my relationships and in the industry kind of more broadly. Um, And also, you know, I I didn't, you know, come up or get trained up in this industry. And so a lot of these things about the sort of standards, as we might call them, (laughs) um, I was really shocked by. And so it occurred to me that, um, that diners also really need to be educated on what is happening um, underneath, uh, you know, that white tablecloth um, or that very kind of um, polished experience that is is supposed to make them not worry about anything, right? Like mm-hmm. going out to eat is supposed to um, transport you to this kind of paradise for, for a couple of hours. Um, but increasingly, you know, diners are learning to be more critical. And I think right now with the pandemic, um, really asking themselves like, hey, do I want small businesses to survive? And, and how can I be more thoughtful with my dollar? Um, and so, I mean, to me, compromise has really been about the decision we made a few years into Maymay that um, we weren't going to make the best food in Boston. Um, that was probably never going to happen, right? But, you know, it was an aspiration, I think, that we held. Um, and what we ultimately said was we would like to be the best restaurant to work for in Boston. And that mm-hmm. seems like a more meaningful and a more <laughs> achievable um, goal. And so I don't know that that was a compromise per se, but there was a very specific sort of shift we made um, where our team started to be less about people who kind of wanted to train up and jump from restaurant to restaurant and just collect all the skills. Um, and it became more about people who were really interested in a different kind of industry um, with different standards around employment. Um, and so I don't know, that feels like winning to me like we had such an incredible team um but certainly that was a a choice that we made but but was there has there been a mindset shift i I guess the reason i ask is just to just to dig into the numbers i I think 1.8 percent translated to how much was it the the total net from 2019 20 thousand dollars yeah like twenty two thousand dollars 
And so, you know, let's say you decide, and then, you know, your reaction to that was in 2020, let's open more restaurants. The idea being what, that you're able, if you open five, then you're able to multiply that 22,000 by five. And, and so, and it's a hard earned $22,000. And, and so it begs the question, would you re-envision that business model entirely? Have you re-envisioned that business model entirely and said, if I get into a business that nets out 1.8%, I don't want to be in that business? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we were in the process of re-envisioning that business model uh, as we were thinking about opening new restaurants. Um, one of the things we were really excited about was was actually owning a property um, because that is, you know, a huge kind of um, safety net if you can oh, afford yeah. it. Um, we almost actually we did sign a purchase and sale agreement and it fell through in the first week of March. And I was so upset. Um, it was like a septic system issue. Uh, and so now I'm like, I thank the septic gods for for rescuing me from that real estate <laughs> deal. Right. Um, but certainly we were already thinking that, you know, the business model has to change. Um, we need a bigger dining room. Uh, we can't rely on catering the way that we had been. Um, and so I think every year we're refining what we're doing. Um, and, you know, certainly now we have made much more drastic changes. Um, but there is part of me that feels like maybe we would have ended up in this place eventually anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, you know, a lot of us are looking around and saying the pandemic has actually just like sped up the, the rate at which we are transitioning to, you know, to a more delivery focused model, um, to people eating more of their meals in their homes, um, things that I feel like people have been predicting would happen. Um, and mm -hmm. so I don't know, like maybe uh, if things had continued at the pace we were going in five years, Maymay would have been a dumpling company. It's really hard to say. Well, and when we when we look at the transparency that that we've been able to achieve as an industry, right through this, because with a sixty percent permanent closure rate, I, I think everyone kind of clued into how difficult this this industry is in the best of circumstances. Right? Have you seen a shift in public perspective, a shift in expectations when it comes to your customers, what they're willing to do to make sure you stay in business? Yeah, I have. I mean, we have always been fortunate um, to have guests who are uh, making decisions around um, sort of values and they're they're identifying with like our, our culture um, and what the restaurant is all about. Um, and so I would say that we, we had amazing guests <laughs> To begin with, um, and now they are even more amazing. Um, you know, they they write us cards and notes. Uh, they make hot sauce uh, and pastries for us, um, and we definitely have seen people who are even more than before. You know, even more than, for example, let's go to Maymay for lunch every Friday. Um, they're saying, um, I'm going to buy all my wine and all of my eggs for Maymay every single week, and so we are seeing that there are a number of people who are really reshaping their routines around supporting us um, and the other businesses that they care about. I'm trying to do the same thing um, in my life. You know, I eat a fried chicken sandwich from Bisque every Sunday. What a sacrifice, right? Oh, um, I know. You're a hero. I think, <laughs> I think that we, you know, we're all um, looking to build those kind of means um, mm -hmm. and, and, flex kind of that support for small businesses. Um, and so we certainly have seen a lot of that, but the, you know, ultimately the problem is there are not enough of those guests to go around um, for everyone. And so 
there may be, I, I'm, I know you've talked to other guests about this, like this is kind of a correction that we're heading for with 60% of, of restaurants closing. Um, and so what do we come out with on the other side? Hopefully those guests will still have businesses um, to support that they really love. Well, and people are voting with their money. Which I, I think that 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 correlation has been made in people's minds. I think the IRC has done a really good job of reaching out to the general public and saying, listen, you know, you vote with your money. So if you want more McDonald's out there, you need to go spend money there. But if you want more independent restaurants, these community tables, you have to go spend money with them. Uh, you know, I've seen so much innovation in terms of people stratifying their uh it, it, their portfolio, their offering to the general public, and few have done it better and, and in a more interesting way than you have. Can you talk about uh, the pivots that you've created to to service your customers? Yeah, I mean, I think the the most surprising um, pivot for us was taking our cooking classes virtual. Um, we offered dumpling classes in the restaurant prior to the pandemic um, and operationally, like they were kind of a pain. Um, like we had to close the dining room. We had to flip everything. Um, we had to cook like 30 people's handmade dumplings at a time, um, which was not super easy to do. And so right when the pandemic hit, um, our team, and, and this is all thanks to, you know, our frontline staff, I had nothing to do with it, um, just translated all of that material into a virtual class. Um, and since then, we've added new curriculum. So now you can also make hand-pulled noodles. You can learn about um, walk and knife skills. Um, and I think that, you know, the timing for winter to come and for people to go back to work, but for corporate businesses to need activities for everyone, um, that has really worked out in our favor. And so right now we're doing tons of corporate holiday parties. Um, we're helping families who may be spread out across the country or the world um, convene to quote, share a meal. Um, and I think that to me, that's sort of, you know, it's so different than actually providing food service. Um, you're teaching people how to cook your food. And I think on some level, you know, there may be chefs who feel like, oh, like, I, you know, I don't want to give away my secret recipe. Um, but I think for us, Mei Mei has always been a little bit more about an approach to food. Um, and so it's not that important who's cooking the food. Um, if we can sort of share our philosophy around food and share the joy that we hold around food, um, I think that's what really comes through in the classes. Um, and so so we're not sure what's going to happen next with classes, like if there's going to be a big slump after the holidays, um, if after, you know, the pandemic kind of winds down, if there will still be demand for that. Um, but that's been a real bright spot for us to actually get to interact with guests, to see people's faces, you know, their whole face, <laughs> even if it's on a, <laughs> on a computer. Um, so I think that's one of the pivots that I, I'm still kind of marveling at, um, that it works. Uh, we started shipping kits uh, all over the country. That's something we'd never done before. Um, and, you know, it, again, it's all, it's all my team. Um, they're just crushing it. And so we'll see what happens there. Something I, I want to talk about, which is directly related to that, is that you had done a great job prior to the pandemic of communicating with your base, communicating with your customers, and setting up avenues through which you can talk with them. Every restaurateur knows that they need a mailing list and they need to be active on social. And but like, who has time for all that? <laughs> you know, I what I'd love for you to do is talk about, you know, your your communication strategy prior to the pandemic and how you leverage that 
through the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I've never been in charge of our communication strategy. Um, and so uh, I think the key for me has been to hire people who are um, smarter and better at it than I am. Um, but I think that consistency has always been key. Um, you know, you got to send out that newsletter every month, um, even if you don't think you have anything to say. Um, we post to Instagram every single day, um, and usually to Facebook and Twitter as well. And I think that, you know, especially during the pandemic, we really kind of sat down and said, not every communication has to be about selling something. Um, and in fact, people are tired of being sold to. Um, mm -hmm. And so we ended up, you know, kind of broadening our approach um, over the years, you know, certainly gradually, but especially after the start of the pandemic, um, to use our platform to share more about um, different causes that we were passionate about, different businesses that we wanted people to support. Um, and so looking at our platform, you know, we have about 15,000 followers on Instagram and um, a pretty good newsletter base and saying, um, you know, there's so much that we want to do. And um, we don't have money to do all of it. But if we can use a platform, you know, a small um, but significant platform to do some of that, then then let's make it happen. And so, um, for example, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, um, we put out a, a letter about Black Lives Matter. Um, we did a series of um, donations and features um, to community organizations that our staff picked out. Um, and we we put all of that info on social media. And so I think that there's just this reminder in communications that like, hey, we're people back here, you know, and it's not just about selling you things, even though we would love for you to support our business. And I think we found that um, that, that really paid off for us. Was there any apprehension in taking positions on things like the BLM movement that there would be backlash with your customer base? You know, I think in the past, um, in, in years past, we have been a little bit more hesitant about um, politics. And certainly, you know, we have never really touched like electoral politics or partisan politics, and, and we didn't this year either. Um, but I think for, for BLM, um, it, it, it got to a point very quickly where we said like, you know, this is about our own integrity. And if we don't say anything, that is actually more um, damaging to us and to our brand um, than if we say something. And, you know, I, I did get a couple of emails from people who said, uh, BLM is a terrorist organization and I'm not supporting your business anymore. And, you know, like, okay, but we can have that conversation if you want, but there are lots of other people who are really happy about what we have to say. A, a couple of weeks ago, somebody came up um, to get her curbside takeout and she said, you know, I love your values and it's, a, it, it's nice that your food is good too. And that's why I support your business. Um, and so that kind of thing is gratifying to hear. But at the same time, I think that um, making a statement was really about sending a message um, first and foremost to our team. Um, that this is something we take seriously. Uh, we've always had a, a very diverse team at Maymay and making sure that they felt like their experience was being acknowledged. Um, like, you know, after the protests in Boston, I, I don't think going to work could have felt normal for anyone. Um, and so just saying like, hey, things aren't normal. Um, and like, let's not pretend that they are. Um, that was important to me. And then actually sharing that message out more broadly was something that was secondary to that. I love that. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity uh, to offer words of encouragement or advice to the industry directly. Do you have anything you'd like to share? 
I think what I have been proudest of and what I'm most excited about is the way that people in our industry have figured out how to support their communities. Um, and that our communities are actually not just our guests, right? They're our neighbors, our cities, our community organizations. And so I think that anything that is about ensuring kind of the well-being of our community, um, if it's profitable, that's great. Um, but if it's not, it will pay you back uh, eventually. And so I've just been so proud of that. And so I want people to, to keep doing that kind of work um, and to, you know, stick to their guns on that. And, um, you know, even as I kind of exit the industry, in a sense, I still feel so connected um, to the people who are fighting the good fight um, and making sure that restaurants aren't just businesses, um, that they are places where people celebrate, um, where they commiserate um, and where they find, you know, happiness and belonging. Um, and so if we can keep nurturing people, keep offering hospitality, whether it's to paying guests or just to people who are in our community, um, that makes me really proud of our industry. That's Chef Irene Lee. For more info on Mimi's virtual classes and CPG offering, go to MimiBoston.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to JoshCopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.